from the front lines of the green rush. This is Green Entrepreneur, where business owners talk about how they found success in cannabis and how you can too. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Green Entrepreneur Podcast. My name is John Small, and I am the editor-in-chief of Green Entrepreneur. So big question here. Can cannabis help enhance your creativity? My guest today sure thinks so. He has built a company on that premise. And Sean Gold is the founder and CEO of Pilgrim Soul, which is a mission-driven company focused on creative performance. Sean was previously the CMO of Lowell Herb Company, and he has also been an advisor to other leading cannabis brands, including MedMen and Charlotte's Web. Sean, welcome to the show. John, thanks for having me. I've, I've listened to the podcast a bunch and was waiting till I could do something that warranted me being a guest. And I think we hit our moment. I think we found it. Before we get started, tell me a little bit about your background. I, you know, I, I mentioned that you had worked for MedMen and for Lowell Herb Company. Give me a little quick summary of your, your bio here. Yeah, sure. So I, you know, I, I grew up in technology space, early in the internet space, doing mostly consumer-facing internet stuff, building content sites, advertising. I was the chief marketing officer of MySpace from about 25 million to 110 million users. I helped launch uh, a company called a blog company early in the blog space. So we launched Engadget and Autoblog and Joystick, sold those to AOL. Um, then I was uh, chief marketing officer of a about a billion dollar in sales e-commerce company that really invented the subscription fashion categories. We had brands like Fabletic, Fabletics and Just Fab and uh, Rihanna's lingerie brand, Savage by Fenty. So, you know, I came and then I've always wanted to be in the cannabis space. I, I've used cannabis my entire life for ideation. You know, I've, my job has been come really developing new business models, working for companies and ideas that previously didn't exist, be it social media, blogs, you know, or, or cannabis um, or subscription fashion. So I've used cannabis for for you know, divergent thinking and ideation and for empathy and for pattern recognition, making these nonlinear connections. And then um, you know, for focus, really, helping me just go deep inside problems. Ever since you've been young, huh? <laughs> kind of, unfortunately, ever since I've been a kid. Um, I have a teenager and I'm imploring him not to... Not, right, it's hard, yes. A bit hypocritical, but we do have a lot of research now that shows that it is bad for teenage minds. That said... So I've used cannabis, you know, my my entire career as a competitive advantage, and I I wanted to get into cannabis. I wanted to help people kind of learn and do what I did and tap into that that opportunity. So I jumped in. I started advising MedMen and a company called Lowell Herb Company and the Stanley Brothers, and then I joined Lowell as the CMO and really learned the guts of the cannabis market ecosystem and. I saw that creativity. I did a collaboration with Notorious B.I.G.'s son and where we created this creative blend. I was already kind of looking at the space and then I, it, was a, it was a hit. And I saw you know, there's this big opportunity to focus on the category of creativity in cannabis. There's obviously half the songs on Spotify would probably be gone without cannabis. So not hard to really figure that out. But I was trying to, you know, I, I was trying to put together something that took all my background of performance marketing and social and SEO and content and cannabis and created a really unique business that hacked a lot of the issues that we have in the cannabis space. Well, obviously banking limitations, you can't advertise the brand, you have geographic limitations, which in some sense, in most other businesses, geographic limitations would be great because you can micro-target it. 
But since you can't advertise, it makes it even harder. And then the direct relationship with customers. You really don't own your customer in in cannabis. The you know, the, the dispensary does if you're a brand. And then there's thousands of products that have the same active ingredient. How do you differentiate? How do you market effectively? How do you own the customer? There's just this sea of sameness, you know, whether like, people are going after cheap weed or high THC, that are really seeing that it's a race to the bottom on price when everyone has the same strategy and, you know, and is going after, you know, the same end result. So what, talk to us a little bit about how you differentiated Pilgrim Soul. So, like when I was at, in the CMO of Lowell, I, I saw that like the largest, you know, the, which as you said was the largest pre-roll brand. It became clear like the next wave of cannabis brands would be like vertically focused, mission-driven, you know, built on a really strong belief system where cannabis is just a portion of the brand package. You know, at Lowell, it was about craftsmanship and heritage and sustainability, and we got a lot of publicity really leaning into those themes, those temples. So it. At Pilgrim Soul, you know, we we I was like, how can we build something that's bigger than cannabis? So we really see ourselves as a creative performance company. Though we started as a cannabis company, um, and cannabis was the main product that we really wanted to push forward, we we backed up and really saw ourselves as a creative performance company, where every product we offer is designed to help unlock the mind and release creative flow. So it's sort of we've figured how can we create sort of a lifestyle company where we really help people tap into their innate creativity. Everyone's born creative. We kind of repress it through school and fear of judgment and relying on default thinking and a bunch of other things. So on the cannabis side, you know, I work with some of the top cannabis scientists in the country, these guys at Abstracts Labs. We analyze hundreds of different strains that index high for creativity based on survey data from Leafly and other sites. We looked at the cannabinoid, we, we made 3D model. We bought the flower, multiple versions of the flower of these different strains and made 3D models of the cannabinoid and terpene profiles of these, these strains. And then we, we backed them in the different nuanced types of creativity. Like some of these strains were really great for creativity and focus. And those I put into my creative focus plans. And some of these strains are really great for creativity and relaxation and I put those more into my creative reflection blends. And we have four different blends, reflection, creative reflection, creative awareness, creative focus, and creative imagination. And they're really nuanced around, you know, different terpene and cannabinoid profiles. And, and you know, as I said, I work with some of the top scientists in the country, but you can still smoke my creative imagination blend, and, you know, and think about your, you know, your ex-boyfriend or your car payment. You know, it's unlimited how much anxiety you can experience and not think creatively. So, you know, I wanted to create other products that enhance the efficacy of the cannabis. So the first thing that we created was this journal, this guided journal meant to be used while you're high. And we put that out in the marketplace. And that was, again, that was meant to be guardrails on the experience, just to make sure you have a focused creative experience when you're using our cannabis product or really any, any great strain that's good for creativity. And that really caught fire. It, it put that out, you know, it allowed, it, it really caught on with audience. One, it showed product market fit. It showed like this book was top 500 bestselling book on Amazon. We did probably 6 million in sales on the first year and a half, just on this journal alone and, you know, have over 150,000 customers. But anybody who buys this journal, who which says, please use this journal while you are high on the cover, likes to get high and be creative. So they are a perfect candidate for our cannabis products. Uh, we actually started the cannabis business first, but then this thing took off so much, we kind of had to, we were chasing a tiger by the tail. But, and so now 
you know, we're trying to build a national licensed cannabis brand and we have a database of users around the country that we can certainly that come with a package. We have the ability to advertise and market. We can drive traffic to dispensaries, not for our cannabis products, but for our non-cannabis products. So there's a lot of really unique hacks that we've come up with by taking this very vertical mission-driven approach to cannabis. No, I mean, there, there's so much to unpack there. So first of all, I credit you with a, a new way to tackle a problem that a lot of cannabis entrepreneurs face, which is how do I sell a plant that everybody else is is selling the same plan? And you have these cannabis companies that are focused on pain. You have these cannabis companies that are focused on more THC, uh, sleep. But I haven't seen a lot of cannabis companies focused on the on the idea of creativity. Is that a wide market? You know, you always hear like there's three things that people want to use cannabis for, you know, pain, sleep, and I guess anxiety or stress. Creativity is not one I hear, although I know many, many creative people who use cannabis. I know. It's kind of shocking to me. I feel like I have so much conviction in this idea. I feel like there should be 100 companies competing with me. There are people who've taken a swipe at it by putting create on their packaging or they haven't. I mean, no one's really building a moat around it where they're, we're building like we're leaning into content. We know our purpose and we know what we stand for. So we've put out many articles around creativity and cannabis and creativity so we can own the SEO taxonomy around, you know, around uh, cannabis creativity. If you Google cannabis creativity, best weed for creativity, and 50 other different keyword phrases around that, we'll be on the first page of Google because, we're, you know, again, we're trying to build a moat around that. And that's a little bit kind of off topic. I mean, in that we're trying, you know, this sort of mission allows us to really kind of go after. So no one's going after it in a very focused way. People are sort of, you know, we have one blend for creativity, one blend for sleep, one blend for euphoria, you know, for sex, you know, whatever it may be. So like I said, I think the opportunity in cannabis is to go, go much more narrow, much more vertical and try to own that vertical and going really aggressive into that vertical. You know, so when someone goes into a dispensary and the bartender says, do you have something to help me with creativity? And the bartender may say, well, you know, what kind of creativity? This company only focuses on creativity. You know, they have these journals you can use, which you can also buy here. And or are you interested in focus or imagination or reflection? So we're sort of like changing the game and trying to rewrite the rules a bit around that category. Really, def- you know, there's a great book that I love we may talk about earlier called Play Bigger, which is about creating category kings. But really, I, I, I had a significant impact on me. And I, I realized that if I can't own start a category, I, I mean, if I can't own a category, I need to start one and define it, and you know, and and be the leader in it. And so that you know, kind of that's the purpose that we've that's the the direction that we've gone. You have an interesting situation here, where right now you have a product out in the market, your journals, which sell more than your actual cannabis products, which was your original sort of idea. And how are you going to move all those captive customers uh, who have bought your cannabis creative journals? Uh, into being Pilgrim Soul customers? Like, what is the strategy there? Well, that's a great question because we like, you know, one of the other obstacles for marketing is really, you know, is not, you know, which I alluded to earlier, is not owning the customer. You know, the, the retailer owns the customer. So we have, you know, again, we have in California, we have probably about 15,000 customers of the 150,000 people in our database. So we market directly to them. We, we I'd say about 35% of our, our total sales uh, each month are from our existing database. And that's go, that's gone up from 30% when we first started or like in the first, in the second quarter after we started. And then about 
of our sales in California are from that database. So we did a private label deal with Grassdoor for delivery, where people can go to pilgrimsoul.com and buy it direct. And we are constantly talking to that our database, which is forever building. And now we're also advertising... You know, we heavy up of our, our, our brand advertising or performance advertising for the journals in California, where we that's the only place where you can buy our cannabis products right now. So we're constantly building, you know, I'd say we, you know, we index probably maybe 300% of our advertising in California because we're trying to build that database. We advertise still nationally, but we're really heavying up on California advertising to build the cannabis business through the non-cannabis products. So you talk a lot about purpose-driven marketing, and we sort of we have alluded to this a bit. But I, I, can you define what that means? Because I think it's it's a very interesting way of looking at, at marketing. Yeah, like so many consumers see products they buy as like an extension of their own personal brand. You know, we we're all when I was in MySpace, it was really a weird thing. I saw that companies were trying to humanize themselves, and 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 or brands were trying to humanize themselves, and people were. Trying trying to be brands. There's this phenomenon in early social media. So people people use their charities and all these things to define who they are. So today's and because they can, they also really want to know the story behind the companies that, you know, they buy. You know, function today is really not enough. People want design and story and empathy and meaning and symphony with everything else they have in their life you know, in the products that they buy. And they also want to belong. That people want a sense of identity, which is related to the products they buy. They want to rally around the shared values of the brands. They want peak emotional experiences that are around the brand. And probably in today more than ever, you know, they want hope. Life is difficult. And I think the best brands have a purpose to kind of lay the groundwork for growth that like why they exist as a company that really provide for their target audience, the promise of a better tomorrow. Like, you know, a great example of that would be independence and freedom from Harley Davidson. You know, obviously you buy Harley, you know, it's about freedom and independence. You get on that thing or, you know, you buy in your Apple computer because it's about self-expression or you go to Whole Foods because it's about being healthy. Whether you buy it, you might, there's a lot of healthy things to buy at Whole Foods, but just being in there makes you feel like you're you know, actually on the right track. So purpose-driven companies are really about um, understanding who they are, what they stand for, their role in society, and you know, again, building, delivering a better promise for um, for their customers, build a better tomorrow. There's a great model that I used in, in finding like purpose, which I think may, might be useful for your audience. There was this Ogilvy and Mather built this model for defining your brand's best self, which they call their purpose. And, and they used it to develop the Dove campaign. Do you remember the Dove campaign? The the True Beauty campaign that they did? Oh, yes. I do remember the True Beauty. That was a very famous campaign. Yeah, with like using people of all sizes. Yeah. So this model is pretty simple. And I'll, I'll share it with your listeners. Your listeners. It's basically two concentric circles that overlap. And the overlap is like, your big ideal as a brand. But the first circle is like cultural tension. Like what is the problem you're looking to address in our society? So for the Dove example, you know, low self-esteem and poor body image was the cultural tension they were trying to solve. Like basically beauty, beauty anxiety in the age of Photoshop. And then for the brand's best self, which is the other circle, what does the brand actually do when they're at their best? And for Dove, it was like they're Tagline is like a, a gentle alternative to soap that delivers care to women's body. So 
the alternative where those two intersect between like a gentle alternative for women's body and low self-esteem, their big ideal was, you know, the world would be a better place if women were allowed to feel good about their bodies. So your big ideal always, and you can, you can, you can Google big ideal model and you'll, you know, you'll see this, but you know, the, so the, you know, the world would be a better place if women were about allowed to feel better about their bodies. Generally that big ideal always starts with the world would be a better place if, so for Pilgrim Soul, our cultural tension is repressed creativity in this world of siloed thinking. And our, you know, what we do best is our products help unlock the mind and release creative flow. So our sort of like our big ideal is, you know, the world would be a better place if people could just tap into their innate creativity that they were born with. And that's kind of, you know, so that's how I sort of got to that. And then you build out, you build out from there. Take me through the steps of how you built out. So did you sort of come up with the concept first and then build out? Or did you, how did you kind of come to that purpose at kind of guiding North Star for your company? For me, it was really innate because it's my own truth and my own experience. So it was pretty easy, but you know, I knew it and I knew it in my gut, but then I had to build structure around it and really kind of define it put it on paper. I'm also raising money. So I have to communicate this to marketers, you know, beyond what I feel in my gut. I have to know for obvious reasons. So, and by the way, you know, Dove sold like a $1.5 billion sales lift, you know, over like 10 years with this strategy. So what happens next is story. Like one, one of the big advantages to your purpose and what I, you know, I kind of figured out is, is, is the story aspect of the brand. Brands are stories and, you know, purpose drives the narratives that companies share. So you need to show consumers who you are and, and who you serve. If the consumer sees their life purpose reflected in your mission, they're more likely to see support the brand. They're more likely to see it as an extension of who they are. They're more likely to promote it on social media. And then, you know, real another aspect of the you know purpose is really like perceived value. As I said before, value like it's no longer functionality. It's no longer price quality. You know, consumers, especially like online consumers, you know, they're looking at value as like access to information to make great choices, the user experience, convenience, again, like design and mission. So when two products offer like a very similar solution, purpose and mission is really the generally the deciding factor for customers. Does it align? Does it align with who they are? And then that really kind of bleeds into brand loyalty. It helps you articulate the problem you're solving. It helps your customers be, you know, ambassadors to your brand and, you know, and share that vision with their friends. And then there's tremendous efficiencies when you, you know, when customers believe what you believe, there's tremendous efficiencies because they start selling your brand. And, you know, again, it's, it's really an extension of who they are. And again, like a Harley Davidson, you know, is a, is the utopian you know, example of what we're talking about just to kind of illustrate it, but it happens on micro levels with a lot of bread. So a lot of purpose driven marketing is also once you find your purpose, finding a, an audience that's aligned with that purpose. And it's interesting because with like Harley Davidson, you almost wonder what came first, like the purpose or the brand, like it almost feels like Harley Davidson came first. And then they realized like, this is the kind of person that likes our bicycles. And then they marketed more to that person and they, they kind of built their brands around that audience. I don't know the Harley Davidson story. In your case, you had an idea for a purpose. You knew the audience was there because you're the audience, but there wasn't an audience first for Pilgrim Soul. You had to kind of create it. So how did you find the people that you knew this brand would resonate? Maybe take me through the origin of the, of the journal. Like, was that one idea? Like we can find these people and foster this kind of 
loyalty to our brand through creating a product that they would want to use? Yeah, I mean, the whole, everything in marketing is, you know, really ready, fire, aim. You have an idea, you know, you're driven by really data and empathy. It starts with empathy. You know, you think you have an idea, you think it makes sense, you do some research. You know, I, you know, I didn't have a big budget to do a lot of, you know, formal research, but I, my research was just talking to people and, and, you know, listening to people's use with cannabis and how they use it for creativity. And so I started with, I basically put out advertising out there with some copy that I tested different ad copies on kind of my best selling, you know, it's interesting, like my most successful ad that I did was accidentally the first ad I ever did. And I tested all kinds of different ads and I happened to hit it right on the first time. And it was, the ad was, this journal is not for the man, people stuck in the past, people afraid of change. I forget the exact copy, but I took this approach where I wanted to, people to define and to actually create community around this particular brand by defining the enemies. And I said, you know, this is not for, like, again, like people stuck in the past, people afraid of change, people, and like, so people were like, oh, well, I'm not that person. This journal must be for me. And then I also had another ad that was actually pretty successful, which was like, become the most fascinating person in the room. I, I was shocked that that one actually worked, but it, it kind of did. And then the data starts coming in. One interesting thing about Facebook and its algorithm is that, which is where I launched this product, is that it is, you know, I've been in marketing for a long time and worked with some great big brands and spent probably a billion dollars. I, you know, your natural inclination is to say, oh, this is, this will work for people who want cannabis legalization. This will work for, because you can't really target, there's limitations on what you can target around cannabis on Facebook. So people into creativity. So I, I did all this targeting. And then I also did another campaign where I said, Facebook, like just find the audience, adults 18 plus America. And that algorithm beat out all my targeting like every single time, which I was like, it was quite shocking. Why do you think that is that that happened? It was kind of scary, actually, in some sense. But what I kept looking at the data coming back and it was like 60% women were buying this. And that might be a byproduct of Facebook, you know, social media being more women or even journaling being maybe more women or creativity being more women. But, you know, it's not a tremendous amount. And then what was really interesting is that, you know, it was mostly like adults like 25 to 54, and they generally have more money to spend on a 29, you know, they can buy a $29 journal. But it was really a lot of people from like 18 to, to 80. I was shocked at how universal the appeal was for this product. And then even though it was 60% women and 40% men, it wasn't more expensive to acquire a male customer. So which told me that was really just who was there at the time. So I guess in the end, in trying to define an audience, create this micro audience, other than those who, you know, it was much broader. The category of creativity in cannabis is much, much broader than I assumed it would be. I did find some research from Adobe that there was, they asked a question, they did a survey maybe in 2019 where they asked a question, I want, how many, do you agree yes or no with this question? I want others to see me as creative. And like Gen Z, 80% of them said yes. Gen, what's after Gen Z? Millennials, it was like 60, no, it was like 65% and then 50% for like baby, baby Gen X. And then 
BDSA did some research and it's like 66% of people use cannabis to be creative and get motivated. So there's there's some data out there that, that certainly points to the right use case of this. But it's like, you know, I taught when I was talking to investors, you know, I would talk to, I was talking to a lot of finance guys, which are definitely not the most creative bunch. But I would, some investors who came in were like, oh my God. This is a no-brainer. That is done. It's so obvious. Everybody wants to be creative. Cannabis is great for creative. And most of them actually, most of the investors that are in finance use cannabis for creativity. I have like some investor, one investor like loves to get high and go through spreadsheet and like model stuff. Like I cannot, that's not the way my brain works. If I get high, I cannot go through financial models. But this guy just like loves to go inside financial models and think creatively. So he really got the, you know, he really got the business and, and came in. So kind of a long-winded answer to you. No, not all. I mean, it strikes me that you were, not only are you funding the audience for your product, you're also funding the investors for your product that are aligned to your sort of vision and your purpose of of what you want to be. Like they're going to get it because they use cannabis creatively. You know, you might have other investors who are out there who use cannabis in a different way and don't really see it. I know so many people who say they use cannabis to unwind. Like, oh, I can never go to work and be high. You know, I can never, never ever during the day do I use it. I just use it to unwind. But that's maybe not, the customer you're talking, I mean, maybe it is, but you're also talking about a customer who can use it during the day to help them make decisions and help them work. Yeah. I mean, we, our product is a fairly light product. And we really, you know, a lot, all the research on cannabis shows that, and creativity shows that less is more. It's about enhancing the experience, not becoming the entire experience. So it's really a, you know, an additive to reality instead of like trying to completely alter it. Same thing with microdosing psilocybin or other substances that kind of get you there. It's really about becoming more present, having a greater amount of empathy. It's like, I use it, I would use it often for like ad campaigns, you know, doing an ad campaign, like for, I did like the first website for Hot Wheels. I didn't have a kid at the time and I'm, and you know, we were trying to appeal to moms to buy toys for their children. I wasn't a mom and I didn't have a kid. So I, 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 I read a lot of research and I, which, you know, this was for Mattel, obviously they have reams and reams of research. And I, I'm not very good at taking in information while I'm high, but I'm really great at sorting through it and making really cool, unique, nonlinear connections with that information, like getting high and then thinking through the information. So I would use it to, for these deep empathy exercises, like what would a mom say? What would we feel? What's the nag factor here with the kid? And so that's like just one aspect. People, one of the problems with a lot of the research around creativity is that it's a bit difficult to define and silo. I was reading a, a research report where they gave like 30 entrepreneurs a task, 15 of them, they gave cannabis and they asked them to try to think through the task and the other 15 they 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 didn't and uh they decided you know and they decided that the 15 who smoke cannabis weren't that creative weren't you know it didn't really help them and it's not you know the problem is it doesn't work that way like it's cannabis using cannabis for creativity is about like walking you know getting high and walking down the street and having an epiphany moment or empathizing with like a mom who you're trying to reach and be like oh yeah okay that makes sense. I'm going to go back and I'm going to employ that or focusing on a problem or coming up with 10 crazy ideas. And maybe one of them is a, a kernel of an idea that makes sense that leads to another idea. So it's it's really about triggers 
and making connections, which I use cannabis for in my business life. So what's next for Pilgrim Soul? Like you've you've got this purpose, you have this very successful product out in the market. Where do you see the company in a few years? I see us being really a national cannabis band, mostly mostly really through licensing and having a, a lot more of our non-cannabis products. So, I mean, you know, as an entrepreneur, as a, especially as a tech entrepreneur, I would say we're at the you know minimum viable product stage in some sense. Up until recently, it was you know my company was two people and some marketing guys in Serbia with you know one skew of cannabis product, which was not even that pot. It was a disposable vape, which is you know ten percent of the vape market. And then we had you know a journal, really one journal and some pencils and stuff, and we got to six million in revenue with that. So the now you know now we I did a collaboration with Martin Lawrence that he's going on Jimmy Kimmel and uh, Good Morning America next week, and he's going to be talking about that. Well, that's cool. So he's he, he's going to be talking specifically about Pilgrim Soul. He's going on to talk about his thirtieth anniversary, and the answer to what do you you know what have you done lately is you know Pilgrim Soul is one of the answers. So he's going to talk about that. How did that come about? He did. He someone gave him the journal and he really loved it. And his people reached out and said, Hey, we were interested in the collab with you. And I was like, Martin Lawrence, huh? I mean, I love Martin. I love the Martin show. Yeah, from back in the day. Yeah, he hasn't done anything in a while. Then I was like, he has eight million Instagram followers? Whoa. You know, and then he's also like an influencer's influencer, like Steph Curry, LeBron James, you know, like they all love him because they grew up with him. So there's that. And then we came, we just came out with an adult coloring book that says, please color while you are high, which is a lot, you know, the and that's selling really well. So, you know, as I said, 35% of our sales are coming from our existing customers. We just need more stuff to sell to them. So the plan is really to grow, the, you know, we're actually doing a growth round now to bring on more people, create more products, build out the cannabis SKUs you know, and really go build licensing, you know, around the country. And it, it's really a very unique license. If you buy a, you know, if you license a California cannabis brand, they may not know it in, in New York. They have social media. It's working in California. So it probably would work maybe in New York. But with Pilgrim Soul, it's a bit different. You know, we have, we spent $4 million on, on marketing to build this brand. People know, you know, really they know the journals. And if they know the journals and love the journals, then they're, then they're a ripe candidate for actually the cannabis product because they're completely aligned. And then, you know, again, we have the ability to like drive traffic for our non-cannabis products to dispensaries in any any area, of the, you know, anywhere around the country. And then we've kind of been, we own the SEO taxonomy. So no matter where you are in America, if you Google best weed for creativity, our brand's going to come up and if it, it can be available in your dispensary in any state. So this sort of the diabolical plan that we've put together, now we need to just execute on it. Execute it. Well, it's a great plan. If people want to find out more about Pilgrim Soul, what are the various venues that they can... Uh... Yeah, so Pilgrim Soul Cannabis or PS Canna for the cannabis side of the business and pilgrimsoul.com for just the straight up for the non-cannabis. We, what know, does that mean, Pilgrim Soul? Where had you come up with that name? Thank you for asking. So <laughs> Pilgrim Soul, so the Pilgrim Soul for us is like this native creative explorer that's born inside of all of us. And it came from a... William Butler Yeats poem that I used to seduce my wife like 25 years ago. And I'll, you know, I'll tell you the poem. You have to promise not to fall in love with me, but I'll tell you. I'm holding back. I'm glad there's a, <laughs> I'm glad there's a zoom screen between us. Cause it could get, so there's, it's four lines. So, you know, you don't get antsy because, you know, how many loved your moments of glad grace and loved your beauty with love false or true, but one man loved the pilgrim soul in you and loved the sorrows of your changing face. So 
you know, as I said, the pilgrim soul is this native creative explorer that we're all, that's born inside of us that we just tend to repress. You know, when you're in the kindergarten and the teacher says, how many kids in the, you know, in the class are artists? Every kid's an artist. By the time you get to the sixth grade, there's like one artist left in the class and they didn't transfer out of the school. So this idea of this pilgrim soul is just about reawakening that, you know, that, that creative person that was born inside of you. And thank you for letting me tell that my that story. No, it's great. I hope it does for your brand, what it does, what it did for your wife. Obviously it worked on your wife. So. <laughs> and we tried, that poem is sort of hidden as an Easter egg underneath the foam in the packaging of the cannabis. Well, Sean Gold, this has been really, really fascinating. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. Thank you so much, John. Uh, I really appreciate it. Like, as I said, I've wanted to come on this uh, podcast for a bit. Well, you did not disappoint. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. It's important for my pilgrim soul. <laughs> well, thank you so much for listening to the podcast. To find out more about Green Entrepreneur, head on over to greenentrepreneur.com for the latest cannabis and CBD news, thoughtful essays, tips, and insider tricks on how to succeed in the cannabis business all that good stuff. And hey, if you like this podcast, do me a huge solid and go to wherever you may listen to your podcast and please rate and review our podcast. It does wonders for the algorithm, helps others find the podcast. Would so appreciate a review and a rating. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next week.